If you touch your lips on that mic, you've kissed James Meadway. That is a terrifying thought. Hello, my name is Kirsty Styles, and welcome to the weekly economics podcast brought to you by the New Economics Foundation. This week, we have another super special guest. It's Christine Berry, who's a researcher from the economy and finance team here at NEF, and she's going to be filling us in on George Osborne's plans to sell the taxpayer's stake in the Royal Bank of Scotland, RBS. <laughs> In extraordinary times, with financial markets ceasing to work, the government cannot just leave people on their own to be buffeted about. If you remember the old phrase, the banks were trying to privatise the profits and socialise the losses. British banks are being strengthened today through the injection of nearly £50 billion of new capital. The days when RBS sought to be the biggest bank in the world these days are well and truly over. The government will not be a permanent investor. Since we all bailed RBS out, it's had problem after problem after problem. We cannot keep spending money as though we're making profits because we haven't. We've lost 46 billion. A new determination for the bank we own, if not a new direction. A long wait still till we get our 45 billion back. Okay, so Christine, welcome to the Weekly Economics Podcast. Uh, You've been helping uh, to run a campaign to stop the government selling off the Royal Bank of Scotland, uh, which George Osborne is expected to announce at his Mansion House speech this week, which is going to be delivered, uh, as some people will know, at the Lord Mayor of London's official residence to an audience of suited and booted city types. So, Christine, who is RBS owned by at the moment? Well, RBS is 79% owned by the government, um, but via an independent body called UK Financial Investments. Um, So basically, RBS is owned by all of us, but it's not a nationalised entity. So when RBS was bailed out by the government in 2008, they didn't actually change the structure of the bank. It's still a kind of publicly listed shareholder owned company. It's just that the government owns most of the shares. Um, and so theoretically, this body, UK Financial Investments, that owns the shares on behalf of all of us is kind of independent of government. So we don't actually have any say over what RBS does. But we've seen that when Osborne really wants to, he can actually exert influence on um, RBS business strategy. You know, we saw that um, a few years ago, he was instrumental in kind of ousting their chief exec and getting a new person appointed. Um, but one of the weird things about the bank bailouts was that the government didn't really demand any real kind of control or say over what the bank were doing in exchange for these massive injections of capital. Um, So it was kind of the opposite, you know, that from the very outset, they kind of stressed that they were keeping these investments at arm's length, you know, they weren't going to interfere in what these banks did, and they were going to reprivatise them as soon as possible. Um, So even though they're doing, yeah. (laughs) So how do we end up owning so much of RBS? Basically, in 2008, RBS had to be bailed out during the financial crisis. Um, It's kind of the poster child for everything that went wrong with the banks during the 2000s, pursued a really kind of hubristic and reckless business strategy under Fred Goodwin, uh, borrowing massively, swallowing up loads of other companies, um, trying to become basically the biggest bank in town. By the time the crisis hit, its balance sheet was something over £2 trillion. And at the time, we were all told this was great news for the economy, great news for RBS. It was a dial of the stock markets. It was posting record profits. Uh, And even while the US subprime mortgage crisis was starting to unfold, it was still expanding. It was kind of taking over. It took over a Dutch bank called ABN AMRO, um, which turned out to be a really disastrous idea. And uh, very soon after this, it posted the biggest loss in UK corporate history. Uh, It turned out that all of these profits it had been making in the preceding years were basically built on sand. 
um, and it had to be rescued with a massive injection of capital from the government. Um, so it turned out basically, you know, having such an enormous bank headquartered in the UK, which we've been told was such great news for all of us, turned out to be not such great news for all of us because, you know, like other banks, RBS was basically too big to fail. Um, the government just couldn't afford to let it go bust. Goodness me, God, it kind of brings back all of those memories from uh, just a few years ago. So why uh, has the government decided to sell it off right now? Osborne's always said that he wanted to reprivatise the bank, like I said, you know, even though uh, the sort of shareholder model of banking failed so catastrophically in 2008, um, the assumption has always been that uh, we were going to basically return RBS to that model as soon as it was in a fit enough state to do so. Um, and we think it's time to revisit that and ask kind of more fundamental questions about the future that we really want for RBS. So lots of other people have also raised those kind of questions. So the Parliamentary Commission for Banking Standards have kind of pointed out that the sort of pressures that were imposed on banks by the sort of short-term shareholder value mentality was one of the things that led to the crisis in the first place. Um, so it's kind of arguably a bit misconceived from that point of view. But um, until a few months, Osborne was insisting that he was only going to sell RBS back when the taxpayer could make the money back from the sort of 45, 46 billion um, that we spent bailing out the bank in the first place. Uh, but now it looks like he's basically desperate to sell it off at almost any cost. Um, at the moment, the shares uh, the government has in RBS are worth about 13.5 billion less than they were when we bought them. Um, so contrast that with the, say, 12 billion that Osborne is about to cut from the welfare budget. Um, it becomes clear that the scale of that is pretty massive. So you mentioned um, the bank the, the bank that sank, Fred uh, the Shred Goodwin, uh, who was leading the bank at the time. Isn't it a good thing to get this troublesome uh, thing that is RBS out of, off our hands? There's two things to say there, I think. Firstly, Believe it or not, RBS business model is actually going in the right direction. You know, one of the reasons that it's been making such big losses that the share price is so low at the moment is that it's undergone a lot of restructuring. Um, it's been selling off a lot of the kind of um, some of the bits of its investment bank, some of its overseas division. Um, it's sort of focusing more on UK retail banking. Um, and that's all kind of positive, but obviously the short term, in the short term, there's been kind of costs to that restructuring and the taxpayer has taken all the pain of those costs. And we're now about to return it to the private sector uh, for them to sort of reap the rewards of that in the longer term. Um, and the second thing to say is just obviously, you know, notwithstanding that, it is true that RBS has still kind of been dogged by scandals since the financial crisis, um, you know, fines for forex rigging, uh, mis-selling to consumers. It's become kind of quite notorious for preying on SMEs. It's still closing branches at a rate of knots. Um, and I guess the thing to say about that is we think that's precisely why it's such a bad idea to sell RBS back to the private sector. You know, RBS is not unique in any of these things. It's just the worst of a bad bunch. And all the evidence from RBS and other banks in all these kind of behaviours is that they just haven't learned the lessons of the crisis. If we send RBS back to the private sector, what will we expect except, you know, continuation of business as usual? We actually have a public stake in this bank. We've got a unique opportunity to change its DNA, turn it into a different type of bank, one that genuinely serves a public interest and that doesn't engage in those kind of behaviours in the future. So it sounds, again, like a bit of uh, socialising the risk and privatising the profits. Good work, everyone. Um, so you've mentioned uh, that um, uh, the conversation uh, past, after the financial crisis was about kind of banks being too big to fail. What do you think that we should do with RBS instead? 
Well, NEF has published research proposing that we could turn RBS into a network of local banks. Um, so 130 banks in the UK um, based on local authority boundaries, um, plus being split up into parts that would be the responsibility of the devolved administrations in Scotland, um, Wales and Northern Ireland. And those would be not kind of banks that were run centrally from Whitehall. They would be stakeholder banks um, with representation in their governance from consumers, from SMEs, from the local community. Uh, they would have a public service mandate to only lend in their local area, to lend to SMEs and to keep branches open and provide universal access to basic banking services. Um, and that's basically modelled on types of bank that exist in almost every other major developed country apart from the, um, the UK. Uh, so in Germany, they have the Sparkassen, which are basically public savings banks. And the kind of banks that we're looking at splitting RBS into are roughly the same sort of size and order of magnitude as the Sparkassen in Germany. Um, and the UK is really, really unusual. It's a real outlier in not having any banks of this type. We've just completely reliant on these kind of big five um, mega banks based in London. And so we think that the fact that we own RBS gives us a really unique opportunity to kind of fix that structural problem with our banking system. Okay, wicked. So why would having this local network uh, of banks be good for our economy? Um, loads of reasons. So uh, there's lots of evidence from other countries that local banks um, lend more to SMEs, lend more to the real economy than big banks, um, which tend to lend more to sort of um, speculative lending against existing assets like houses um, rather than productive lending. Um, and their lending is also kind of less volatile. So, um, for example, in Germany, their state stakeholder banks, um, the Sparkassen and others, kept lending through the financial crisis. Um, and you see that pattern in other countries as well kind of stakeholder banks kept on lending while UK banks were massively withdrawing credit from the real economy um, because of the downturn. Uh, also great for regional rebalancing. So there's lots of evidence um, from countries like Italy and Germany that local banks can prevent this sort of capital drain to big urban centres like London. So basically we've got a banking system that sucks money into London and the southeast. If we had a network of local banks, we could kind of reverse some of that flow um, and have banks that were obliged to lend in their local area. And also uh, one of the things that NEF's research has shown is that diversity is really important for the resilience of the financial system, which is kind of intuitively obvious when you think about it. If you've got a small number of banks that all behave in basically the same way, they're quite likely to all be hit by the same problems at the same time. Whereas if we split RBS into a network of 130 local banks, then our real economy is quite likely to be able to weather another financial crisis much better than it was the last time around. Okay, so um, what should listeners do if they like your ideas and they want to uh, stop the government selling off uh, our RBS? Uh, well, you can find out more at our website on neweconomics.org. Uh, if you Google stop the fire sale of RBS, um, you'll be able to find the blog on our website with more information and also a link to a petition that's been started by some of us calling on the government to halt the sale until they've reviewed the other options. Um, that's obviously just the first step uh, in what needs to be a much bigger campaign. There'll be lots of other actions coming up. So if you're interested, please do keep your eyes peeled. Wonderful, Christine. Well, thank you so much for making something that's so big and um, and so messy, uh, so understandable. Thank you very much for visiting us. Meg Hillier, my MP, uh, will be uh, the recipient of a letter from me about this very thing as soon as I get back to my computer. Thank you very much. The Weekly Economics Podcast is brought to you by the New Economics Foundation, an independent think tank and charity that campaigns for a fairer, sustainable economy. Find out more and get involved at neweconomics.org.
We'll be back at the same time next week. I have been doing, um, uh, my, my friend's just qualified as a personal trainer. Ooh. Um, so she's doing me some personal training on the cheap. Ooh. I mean, she just gets to stare at my face while I'm going, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>